listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 126 of the Testudo Times podcast, where I'm happy to inform you that Texas is back, folks. And by back, of course, I mean losing to Maryland as a ranked team for the second straight year to a program that has been called a dysfunctional Viper Pit. Thomas, uh, can you do a good Joe Tessitore impression? Not really. I mean, I'll, I'll probably get a little better on Monday Night Football this year, but he's, he's not currently in my repertoire. Is that one of the most memed statements in the history of sports announcing? Texas is back, folks. Oh, absolutely. I don't. I can't think of any that are higher. And I'm actually a. I mean, professionally, I'd like to be a sports broadcaster, so I would normally be able to give you an answer. But I can't I mean, think there, of a more the, memed there's statement. There's the iconic calls, but none of them are more like, like made fun of. Iconic calls than that. are not memes. Like this is a meme yeah. now. And it wasn't a bad call. It was just an overreaction. It was ridiculous, and now it looks like the silliest thing we've ever heard. Uh, Jared, who has not been on this podcast for a while, has also returned. Uh, Jared, Texas is back to just being really stupid and bad again, which is really enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was uh, it was interesting to uh, to watch that game kind of unfold in almost the same kind of way the game unfolded last year. Um, I'm happy to be back to talk about it. Yes, we're happy to have you back. You were both at the game. So I'm going to start with an interesting question that there might be a few different answers to, and I'll start with Thomas. Now we've seen Maryland sweep Texas in a home-and-home, which, again, imagine telling Maryland fans eight years ago that that was going to happen while also telling them, oh, by the way, the program's a dumpster fire and we're in the Big Ten now. Regardless of this, what win was more surprising over Texas, this one or last year? To me, it was last year. I just didn't think that Maryland was there yet. Um, you know, the, they didn't have a quarterback anyone really knew about, or no, no quarterbacks with any good track records. It was Pigram and Bortenschlager and a true freshman. And, you know, we just really weren't sure. And they, they went a very underwhelming 6-6 six and six here before. And they just came out and looked like world beaters and took it to Texas on the road as 19-point underdogs. And, you know, that was a real eye-popping thing. I mean, this year, even with everything else that's gone on, you know, the talent is still there. It's pretty much all healthy right now. And, you know, the, the reason that we thought maybe Maryland won't you know realize its potential is because you know that they've been through some things that can really you know destroy a team but it looks like it's it's galvanized this team and i think that put maryland over the hump in this one jared what's your answer to this question because i don't think it's as clear-cut as some may say i think that there's actually more of a debate for this than i would have thought assuming maryland was going to win heading into the game yeah, I mean, I I'd have no problem arguing either side. To be completely honest with you, I think there's there's valid uh, valid points to be made on each side. I am gonna I'm gonna stick with Thomas on this one though. I'm gonna say last year was the more surprising of the two, um, just because it, it hadn't happened before. This year, at least, we could sit here and say, you know, we don't expect Maryland to win, but they did it last year, so. You know, it's possible. Um, I am, I guess this doesn't really count. I'm on the record with my friends as having predicted wins both years, but not in public. So I guess you'll have to ask them. Do um, you trust Jared Goldstein to be telling the truth in this situation? I will leave that up to the listeners to decide. They can they can make their own judgment, um, but I will throw that out there. Um, but no, I think last year was more surprising just because kind of in the way it happened, the game started in a, uh, in at that time, all too familiar fashion of run for a yard, run for a yard, tip, pick six, 
you're down seven nothing immediately. Um, and then they just like set the world on fire for the next half hour or whatever it was. They scored 20 unanswered points um, or 27 unanswered points, whatever it was. So um, that that I think to me takes the takes the cake for the more surprising of the two. I don't even want to go into the which one was more satisfying because I don't think there's really a debate in that one. But let's actually talk about the game because the game itself was, I wouldn't say a carbon copy, but it was really close to it because Marilyn Thomas offensively in the first half, aside from a drive or two, just tore through Texas again. Like, it didn't matter that Texas actually had one of the better defenses in the Big 12, a conference where they famously don't play defense. They tore through them again in the first half, and you were wondering, how in the heck can this happen again? And there were a lot of reasons for it, and a lot of different reasons as opposed to last year, but were you surprised at just how easy Maryland made it look to start the game? I would actually counter that it they didn't really make it look that easy. I mean, the first drive was unreal, and I think that's what really stood out to a lot of people, and I think that's where that observation is coming from, but... The second touchdown was, it was a third and 10. They had just gotten the ball, thrown like two incomplete passes or maybe run for no gain or something. And then they run this absolutely perfect crossing route that the makes Texas two defensive backs collide into each other. The Texas yeah, that makes two defensive backs collide into each other. And then everyone's wide open and they found Jay Sean Jones. And then the third play was a punter uh, punting from his own five to his own 20 and then it immediately running an end around an end around halfback pass from a wide receiver to a wide receiver. So like, I mean, that's how they scored their touchdowns. I mean, there was only one really long and sustained drive in the first half. I mean, Maryland did move the ball pretty well in general and Tex, you know, Texas helped occasionally with a couple of third down pass interference calls. I think they had a rough the passer. So, yes. I mean, in general, I would say Maryland's offense looked good. It wasn't wasn't great, but it got the job done. And you know, the the same point about the game and the scoring was, yeah. I mean, Maryland jumped out early. Texas made it closer in the middle. Maryland closed out late. I mean, the way that the game actually unfolded, and, and Ryan wrote about this today, but the way the you know the way Maryland did not run the ball very well this year, at least with its running backs, and that was really the strength last year. So the the recipe for success was a little different, but the flow of the game and the score was surprisingly similar. Let's jump into some of these individual aspects of it, Jared, and I want to start with the quarterbacks because with Maryland. We always say, if quarterbacks could stay healthy, this team could actually be good. And Kasim Hill was solid. I don't think he had an amazing game, but you can see why a lot of people in the program are excited. You can see why Matt Canna says he has this it factor. He made a couple of really good throws. And he's shown that he's the better of the quarterbacks, as in just passing the football. And we'll get to Tyrell Pigram in a second. But in terms of his performances, I mean, he was really good against Towson. That doesn't really tell you anything. He made a couple of plays that he had to as a true freshman against Texas last year. And he comes in and he beats Texas in his second, a third career start. Uh, what do we learn about Kasim Hill on Saturday? Uh, I think you learned that Kasim Hill is is uh, the dude. He's the future. Um, I think... Some people already kind of knew that. Um, those people were largely inside the program. Um, but I think he showed on Saturday that he can get it done in a variety of ways. He doesn't have to be a, uh, if we're sticking with the Big 12, a Big 12-like quarterback throwing 50 times a game for 400 yards and four touchdowns or running like um, a crazy person like Kyler Murray did or you're right or or running for 150 yards and two touchdowns he can um be a you know whatever whatever is between a a game manager and a star quarterback um he is 
capable of turning around and handing the ball off, and he is capable of sliding in the pocket and standing in there and making a big throw when he needs to. Um, and that's everything you look for in a quarterback. And, you know, I, I think the uh, the future is bright with him behind center. And you also have the potential of him making some really good throws that most Maryland quarterbacks in recent times have not made. And, Thomas, I want to juxtapose that with what we saw from Tyrell Pergram. He made a couple of throws, but obviously I think it's pretty clear he's more athletic. I always thought that Kasim Hill was somewhat close to – Pigram as terms of a runner it's clearly not the case as you saw in this game they didn't really have him using his legs Kasim Hill that is as much as we thought and did they use Tyrell Pigram in a way that you expected to see and did they use Pigram and Hill in ways that you think can make Maryland successful going forward or are we going to see alterations as time goes on I think the way in which they used him made some sense I didn't really feel like there was a rhythm to it you know, maybe over the course of a couple of games, we'll we'll settle into some sort of rhythm. Or maybe the point is to have no rhythm and just keep the defense off balance so that they have to prepare for both just at all times. It's Pagram is definitely more of the runner in the group. I think they're still a little more cautious with Kasim, who can scramble but is not someone you would design runs for necessarily. I I, I think that's... That's where it is. And Pigram is, you know, close as a passer. He's He's got some abilities. You know, there were a couple throws he just missed. The I'm thinking of Avery Edwards in the end zone, I believe. Yep. But, but, yeah, I mean, it's clear that for the offense that they're running, Hill is the best guy for the majority of the time. And Pigram is a good enough quarterback and a good enough athlete that – it makes no sense to, for him to not see the field at all. And so they're going to work him in how they can. This is going to be a terrible comparison, but forgive me. But, you know, Alabama's kind of doing this whole thing with two quarterbacks. and it's Oh, it's, it's the not, exact same thing. I mean, It's I, just I, that I, Alabama's quarterbacks are, you know, obvious, just a whole other better, level. A little bit better. But, it, I mean, like, you don't want to say it's the same thing. And then you kind of think about it. And it's kind of like, oh, crap, it actually is the same thing. And they're kind of being used in similar ways. Two is a better passer. Hertz is probably a better athlete. There's uses for all of them. And that's what I think Matt Canada is trying to figure out. And it comes in, Thomas, with the running backs and the running game itself, which I want to talk about with you because you had a great stat that I didn't notice. Maryland's leading rusher had 31 yards in this game. And it was Tayon Fleet Davis. I also believe they had, what, nine or ten players get a carry in this game? Something like that? Yeah, a lot of wide receivers, too. Lots of wide receivers, lots of jet sweeps. So if you're playing the Maryland football drinking game and jet sweep is one of the things that you have, you'll be dead by the end of the first quarter next Saturday. But can we talk about the running game itself? Like, it wasn't that great. And some of that has to do with Texas. It's actually not that bad defending the run. But because of how many players they used and how many different ways they used them, or at least on the surface it seems like that, what do we think about Maryland's running game? Because they had maybe, I think it was like 43 carries for just over 140 yards, which sounds good, but actually really isn't that great, all things considered. No, they didn't They didn't run the ball too well. Um, I, that's what Texas keyed in on. Texas's run defense was its strength really all of last year, except in the Maryland game. And so I think if, if you only watch those two games and you didn't watch Texas the rest of last year, it would be a bit of a surprise, but... They definitely keyed in on it. Canada was talking today. He said, you know, you can you can devote enough resources to stopping the run or enough resources to stopping the pass if that's all you really want to do. And this is why Maryland was just hosed last year because everyone geared up to stop the run and then Maryland still couldn't beat them with a pass. The thing with Texas in this year was Texas geared up to stop the run and Maryland could still pass. And it could still hand the ball off to wide receivers, get guys in space, and do that. So they ran well enough to keep it an option. They have obviously good running backs that and wide we'll receivers see a lot that more aren't of. that bad when you hand them the ball too. Evidently, yeah, that was probably the biggest positive surprise across the whole roster 
in well, that game. No, there is one positive surprise, and we'll get to him. His name is Jayshon Jones, but beyond the Heisman Oh, the whole receiver group and yeah. him in particular. Because Turner played well, Davenport made a key catch, Brian Cobbs, Daryl Jones all there. got in the action. Tavon Jacobs caught a touchdown. So really all the guys that you thought might contribute did immediately, and that's encouraging. So, Jared, let's talk about the offense in general because by the end of the game, it was one of the few grouses you could have with the way it all played out, was that Maryland's play calling got a little vanilla, a little bit safe. The goal line set in the third quarter, I believe it was, when they were stopped in like the two-yard line and ended up having to kick a field goal. I think they were up 31-29 at that point. So it was the fourth quarter. And then the two series after a turnover where they went three and out and didn't throw the ball. Matt Canada said at his press conference, you would have dinged me if I had thrown the ball and it was incomplete. So I, I get that. But still, you thought that there would be a little bit more confidence in the passing game considering the way Texas was gearing up to stop the run. And in the end... With all of the motion and all the things that happened pre-snaps, a lot of the plays ended up being run very similarly. Like, there were jet sweeps. There were a couple of runs up the middle that really weren't successful because Texas keyed in to stop that. What do we think about the offense as a whole? They still scored 34 points, which obviously is really good, and a lot of them were longer drives. So it's not as if they were getting short fields and taking advantage of bad situations from Texas's perspective, but what do we think about the offense as a whole? Um, well, to address, I guess to address your first question about the, the play calling late in the game, um, I think Coach Canada kind of touched on that a little bit um, after the game, and, and I, I was not there today at the press conference, but I think he talked about it again today too, about um, how he kind of made the questionable call that, that didn't work to go for it in, you know, deep in Maryland's, not deep in Maryland's Ontario, but in Maryland's own territory late in the game, um, and it didn't work, and he put the defense in a bad spot there. Um, and so to continue, you know, it was just kind of, look, the field was wet. They had just come out from that monsoon of a rain delay. Um, and, you know, I, I think it kind of showed, you know, on the opposite side of the, the ball um, where – Texas, because they were losing, um, was forced to be aggressive, and it resulted in three consecutive turnovers. Um, Maryland had the luxury of being in the lead and at least then had the option to play aggressively or conservatively, um, and and the conservative play while not losing was the, you know, the one that ended up making sense and and stealing the game i want to say one thing about that their first drive after or was it was the first or the second the one that led to the field goal after the monsoon they ran the ball pretty well they had a good drive and they went all the way down the goal line and they've proven that they could beat texas throwing the football and they trusted kasim hill last year i mean it was a different offensive staff but he proved that he could throw the football i was a little surprised that they didn't try to do something a little bit differently in that perspective but the case may be thomas if you had to give a grade to the offense, what would you give it? Probably a solid B plus. Sounds about better right. Better than most of last year. Well, yeah, better quarterback than most of last year. This is true, Jared. What would you say for most of the offense's performance? Grade one. Uh, I think a B plus is fair. Um, that's probably right around where I'd go to a, a mid to high eighty on a on a scale of a hundred. Um, there were things, and again, it, they were things that Texas specifically is geared to stop. Um, if you kind of go back and watch their defensive ends are lined up inside the offensive tackles, so they're very much um, aligned to stop runs up the middle, um, and they want to force to the outside and beat them with speed because their secondary and linebackers are fast. Um they're, they're so like things like that where you say you know Maryland could have done X better, um, but also it was you know that kind of by design that that wasn't necessarily part of the game plan. Um, I would have you know I just kind of sat here and defended it a little bit, but I would have liked to see a little bit more aggressive play calling later in the game. Um, but again, everything 
seemed to pretty much work for the most part. Uh, there were no turnovers, no super costly penalties at any point. So B plus high 80 sounds sounds about right to me. It does. I think the one reason you saw those jet sweeps is the end of something you mentioned. that They were so geared Texas to stop the run up the middle, and Maryland did nothing when they tried to run between the tackles in the A-gaps. And the, obviously they tried to get the jet sweep and get the wide receivers, and that worked a little bit. A uh, couple of players I think we want to mention, Thomas, obviously. Uh, Heisman frontrunner Jayshon Jones. I mean, since Khalil Tate's no longer a Heisman contender, why not? He, he's the first player to do what he did since Marcus Mariota, and Marcus Mariota won the Heisman. It's science. You can't argue with it. Yeah, so any any number of – we saw, like, a whole list of comparisons. They announced Dak Prescott in the press box, and they're like, wait a second, no, Kenny Hill did it. First freshman since Marcus Mariota, first Big Ten player since Vince Smith. Just all these things, but the, the one that stood out to me is that no one has done it in their college debut in at least 20 seasons, which that must mean that's as far back as they have data for this. Mm-hmm. And even if someone had ever done it in their college debut, there's no way anyone would ever do it on their first career three touches. So, yeah, Jason Jones, best start to a career ever. Correct. I rest my case. You are absolutely right, sir. But how about him? And I, I mean, actually, he probably won't stand. Receivers. He probably won't stand up as the best college football player of all time, which was a joke we all made, and it's still on our site in headline form. But I, I, I don't. But that is probably the best like three touch start you could have and i think that will hold up bonkers right and i had to get out of my head for a second that that's not ty johnson anymore that was jay sean jones and then joe Davis yeah. specifically mentioned it on the broadcast i'm like you know what i didn't think about this until you just mentioned it we found out when we got there that Tayon fleet davis wore number eight now yeah yeah that was really annoying <laughs> Well, imagine just if because I was watching Tayon Fleet them. Davis since he got to Maryland has worn number thirty-three, and then like two days before the season opener, he, he switches to number eight. Imagine if you're a broadcaster and doing all of your preps and your charts and your shot sheets, and then they change the number on you like the day of or close to it. Anyway, uh, two words about the receivers. First, Thomas, uh, the tight ends had a catch. This is amazing. I made a joke about it. It didn't get any play on Twitter, but congratulations. Gio Conquo got a catch. Avery Edwards almost got a touchdown. And then the almost the third string tight end almost got a touchdown too on that uh, goal line set. Uh, and the freshman receivers were actually pretty dang good. What would you like to tackle? I'll, I'll go with the freshman receivers. I mean, we talked about that a, a little bit last week, I think, because there were four of them on the depth chart and no redshirt freshman receivers. And I believe three of the four true freshmen had a catch. Obviously, Jones had the 65-yarder plus the run and the passing touchdown. Brian Cobbs, Daryl Jones, they had their catches. Dante Dimas, I think, saw the field and didn't get a catch. But, you know, that group was one four-star and three three-stars, I believe. Cobbs was a two-star when he committed and was a three-star later that day. It's for that group to already be exceeding its collective prestige or its collective prestige. I mean, because the talent is one thing like Jay Sean Jones was very clearly evidently. Yes. Amazingly talented from the moment he got to Maryland. But, you know, it's still hard to foresee that translating into a game that early. This is correct. And again, a tight end had caught a fella. That's a good start. <laughs> Thank yes. you, Matt Canada, for that. So, Jared, let's switch over. Lots to talk about with the offense. The defense had a pretty boringly good game, as in they forced a lot of punts. And until the end of the game, they didn't force any turnovers. They didn't make any crazy plays until the end of the game. Lots of it was just three and outs for Texas. They were just solidly very, very good. They had one sack. They had the three turnovers. Texas's drives were basically lots of three and outs, one really long drive. That was the end of the first half, and their other touchdown drives were on short fields. So the defense, which last year was pretty poor, some of that was injury and some of that was everything else, they had a really solid game against a team, again, that was in the top 25 and has a pretty potentially good offense. 
that we might see down the line. And Maryland had a pretty solidly defensive game despite giving up 29 points. Yeah, I was uh, I was impressed with the defense. Um, I think we all kind of had a sense that with uh, some of the yeah, there there was a, quite a bit of turnover on defense, but veterans who were returning and some of the younger guys who were poised to step into the now vacated roles, um, that there was the potential for uh, market improvement on on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I think that that's kind of what we saw. Um, 29 points is, is under the season average from last year. Um, not by a ton, but I, I would, and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit is I would point out that I think, I think three of the touchdowns came on fields of less than 60 yards i believe one of them the was immediately it's like a 39 yard touchdown the first one was the first play after a punt return which was clearly on right inside the field that was the first touchdown the second touchdown was a really long drive after maryland went up 24 to 7 i don't remember where that one started the third one was at the end of the half so i don't exactly remember where that one started either but it wasn't yeah. like they started at their 20. And then the fourth one was right after Maryland turned the ball over on downs, which was 36 yards. So two of them were less than 40 yards, I think. Right. And otherwise, Maryland right. was so, forcing a lot of three and outs or a lot of one first down and outs. Right. They, they were they were doing a good job getting off the field. Um, I actually took a little time today um, to specifically watch uh, watched the, the, all the defensive snaps over again and watch Byron Cower. Um, he only showed up on the stat sheet with two total tackles, and including one for, for a loss uh, with no sacks or anything. Um, but he was really good uh, in this game. I picked out uh, eight plays specifically um, that he was – he kind of flashed the, the talent, potential, and strength that – um, once made him such a coveted defensive end coming out of high school. Um, he was getting double teamed for quite a lot of this game, and he still managed to kind of grown man his way to the quarterback at times. Um, obviously, like I said, it didn't register You know, on the stat sheet. It didn't show up uh, as a sack, but he was directly responsible for uh, at least one sack and probably the second as well um, and and a few tackles for loss or at the line of scrimmage on run plays. A mm-hmm. uh, couple of other players I think we should mention, Thomas. Marcus Lewis was PFF's best cornerback in the country. Tino Ellis. Tino Ellis was. Thank you very much. I thought it was Marcus Lewis, but it was Tino Ellis. Converted wide receiver, Tino Ellis. I think we should make that clear because he is a converted wide receiver and has now turned into a really good corner. The entire sack there, I think, had a really good game. And the, the big plays, when they were forcing turnovers at the end of the game, it was all veterans that basically made those plays. I mean, Trey Watson's a grad transfer, but he got interception. The fumble, I think, was forced. I couldn't remember who forced it. But, I, mean, Brett I believe Ellis it. forced it. Yeah, Ellis Colca might have fell it. on it. Colca fell on it, and then Antoine Brooks got the game-sealing interception. So the veterans on a play where he basically started on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, that and was that was like crazy. that was thirty wild. yards downfield. You're right. You don't think about that because in the euphoria of watching it as a fan and semi journalist on television, you don't notice that. But I guess that was more noticeable when you're at the game. But really, there's not a ton of young players that played. But the veterans on that defense, the ones that are still there. I mean, they don't have Jermaine Carter. They don't have J.C. Jackson anymore. But they all stepped up, and it was about as good a defensive performance for Maryland as you could have imagined, right? Yeah, pretty much. I think the one area in which maybe you still need to see a little bit more is the pass rush. But again, as Jared was talking about, the pass rush was good, but a couple of the things, you know, Texas has a quarterback who is better at escaping and, like, keeping plays alive than he really is at anything else. And so you're not going to sack him a ton. 
Yeah, he, um, he, he, he until the turnovers, he actually was a pretty decent quarter. He's better than the other one. <laughs> yeah, um, for three quarters at least. Apparently, for three quarters at least. Yeah, he was. The the Texas fans that I've talked to have have said that like this was a problem for him last year. Was he got worse in the fourth quarter? Oh, isn't that such a sad thing to say about your quarterback? <laughs> Boy, yeah, so, I mean, people complaining well, about quarterbacks don't actually know what went down with Maryland. I was talking to a friend of mine who went to Michigan, and he was talking about the quarterbacks coming in in every other play, and I said, you have no right to complain about quarterbacks. No one has any right to complain about quarterbacks, but I found that kind of amusing. But any other players on defense that stood out? I think Trey Watson had a really good game. And you could see why they went out and got him. Not just the interception, but otherwise, he was really good at a position that Maryland needed somebody to be pretty good at, right? Yeah, him and Isaiah Davis, they did their jobs very well. Um, Darnell Savage, I don't know if we've mentioned by name, but he was his regular old very sneaky great safety self. And we've talked about Brooks and Ellis and the others. So mm-hmm. uh, now we have to get to coaching and want to talk a lot about Matt Canada because I think this man deserves a lot of credit for what happened on Saturday. It is hard to be a first-time head coach in any situation, let alone the one that Matt Canada found himself in. And he had to deal with all of that, getting this team ready to play, all things considered, after everything that's happened last month and the death of a Maryland player in June or end of May. And the fact that he got that team looking as good as it did early, I, I said, whatever the result may be, this is a glowing day for Matt Canada as a football coach. And he had a pretty rough time of it at LSU. I really wish I could do an Ed Orgeron impression. I will learn how to do that by the end of the year, trust me. But in terms of Matt Canada on this day, he had a couple of the hiccups with the play calling. But as he mentioned, he has never called plays from the sidelines. He's always done it from the booth. So that's an adjustment. He's trying to run a whole team and get everybody together after everything that's gone on. Jared, this is one of the best coaching performances I've ever seen a Maryland football coach have. Now, the list is not very high because most Maryland football coaches have either been bad to, you know, what DJ Durkin might have been. But for Matt Canada to do this in his first game against a ranked team, all things considered, it's a really glowing statement of how Matt Canada got his team together for at least this one game. Yeah, I mean, I think it needs to be to be said. That I think Matt Canada, the person uh, and the man, deserves all the credit um, and and praise that I is. Say. Yeah, that that you could give um, Matt Canada, the coach. We already kind of talked about did you know, a, a pretty darn good job, you know, in a, in a new situation in more ways than one. Um, there were, you know, if, and he kind of dropped his own criticism of himself. Um, and he was right in certain areas. He mismanaged his timeouts a little bit. He made a, a questionable fourth down decision. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I don't know what, what more you could reasonably Asked for out of a guy who is really a you know is a career in the booth offensive coordinator um, to come in to step in as interim head coach, and it's not just interim head coach you know anywhere it's interim head coach you know with all the circumstances surrounding this you know the situation and and to come out of the booth and onto the sideline and and you know, kind of rally the troops, so to speak, the way he did um, was, it was almost, it was moving, to be honest with you. I, there were times um, where I, you know, I was kind of just sitting there and kind of got lost in the moment a little bit. And it, it was just, uh, it, it's why sports are so great. Um, and it was, uh, it was really special to kind of see that all take place. It was quite a day for him. I think he was even emotional talking about it in the, the post-game yeah. interviews. And you, you could tell, like, this, this was a lot for him, and he overcame it. And you, we legitimately had no idea how this was going to go. And it could have gone a number of ways. I don't know how many people thought it would go this way. And for Matt Canada, Thomas, we talked about how this season for him now, we, 
presume DJ Durk is not going to coach another game. Although we'll get to some things that you heard on the TV broadcast you might not have heard uh, at the game. But for Matt Cannon, we said this could be a really important season for him as a football coach because if he does well here, it might be the ticket to him becoming a Power 5 coach somewhere else. And many athletic directors and boosters could be short-sighted. I think that's pretty obvious. And they will have seen this game and said, he can coach for us somewhere. And I firmly believe that whether it's Maryland or somewhere else, Thomas, we might have just seen Matt Canna earn himself a head coaching job. Because I don't know how many coaches could say they went in and won a game in that sort of situation with that little lead-up time and did it as well as he's done it. I think the jury's still honestly out on him. It is one game. And it, it is an emotionally charged game. And it seemed like he handled everything. He has handled everything really as well as... I think you could expect I, 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 the jury's probably still out as far as getting that level of a job that early. I think it's realistic to think that if, if this season goes well and Maryland does indeed part ways with Durkin, that Canada would be someone that they look really seriously at. It might be the favorite to get the job for real because he's guided the ship pretty well in, in the system. So I don't know how it, you, there's still a long way to go as oh, far as that, but of course, but I don't know how you couldn't consider him a favorite right now. Like that's a game that I think for most Maryland fans is one they're going to remember. Well, for a lot of reasons, but a lot of it, a lot of it's because Canada coached it really well and seemed to genuinely deal with everything. Well, and it, it was one of the more composed coaching performances I've seen. And in all these scenarios, it's the first time he's ever called players from the silence. First time he's ever head coach anywhere in his career. And so, like, that, if that's your one chance to make a first impression, I think you made a pretty decent first impression for everybody. Is there anything else about this game? I guess maybe the rain delay that we want to mention. Uh, the, the rain, rain delay, was, delay. The rain delay was funny because I, I, you know, there was a lot of rain delays and weather delays in college football all over the country, and that's Maryland in September, late August. But, I mean, it was leaking in the press box. Thank you very much, Daniel Snyder, for not caring too much about your stadium. So it's raining on the media. Maybe he wants it to rain on the media. Who knows? But, I mean, that was some storm. I mean, I've heard of, I've heard of uh, things leaking out in the press, but that's not what they meant. Boo! Sorry. You deserve that. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You absolutely sure. did. Okay. It's okay. I'll, uh, I'll hop in and I'll give us a great segue. How does that sound? Okay, good. Go for the great segue. All right. So I think that it's it's uh, notable how um, Maryland kind of came out and made adjustments coming out of the, the, the weather delay. Um, that was ultimately could have been a huge turning point in the game where Maryland kind of retook a little bit of the momentum um, and took the lead and then could have had it sucked right back out um, with the rain delay. Um, but unlike the last Maryland game to be suspended due to weather, um, they kind of came out and really took it to their opponent. Um, they will get a chance to avenge the previous last rain delay game this coming weekend and you can take it away from there that's very good jared very very well done one of the few games when i was a student that i didn't actually go to uh they do play bowling green on saturday we have to shift gears and now we get to this game that is on espn plus it's not really behind a paywall because you could sign up for the service and get a free trial so if you signed up at three o'clock on saturday the game is free well, it's not really behind a paywall you just have to stream it Anyway, uh, Bowling Green is not the same Dino Babers team that came into College Park and basically started the end of Randy Edsel's tenure as Maryland head coach. They scored the first 10 points at Oregon, and Oregon was ranked. And Justin Herbert, some people's mind, is a Heisman favorite, and they lost 58-24, as you would expect. And now Maryland is coming in, play after beating Texas, to go on the road to a max school. It's a little bit awkward and a bit of an anticlimax. And now suddenly they're not playing as underdogs and playing from this period of great emotion. I mean, they still could be, but this is a very different kind of game, Thomas. And it's one where this team is going to be tested 
in some different ways. So what are we looking for on Saturday when Maryland plays a Mac team on a technically paid walled streaming service? Well, uh, I think the first thing you look everybody. for, the, the first thing you look for, I think is just, do they, do they keep the same energy? I mean, Maryland started and finished so well against Texas and a lot of that goes beyond how much talent they have. I think it, it speaks a lot to how together that team is. And they'll, they'll need to do it again because, as you said, Bowling Green jumped out 10 nothing on Oregon. And Maryland, as pretty good as, as it looked and as explosive as it looked on offense, probably doesn't have the same firepower to completely demolish someone from there so they'll they'll need to take care of business for sure i'm they should i think it's reasonable to expect that they do win and probably comfortably they're 16 point favorites and that's up from 14 and that's it's a 30 point swing from the texas game Mm -hmm. not that it matters i mean i think it Maryland will not overlook Bowling Green because there are players on that team, on this team that lost to Bowling Green pretty badly and embarrassingly. And in a game that got the head coach of that team, it helped usher him out the door. It helped usher him out the door for sure. So I don't expect any real letdowns, but weirder things have happened. I could say that. Uh, Jared, what are we looking for in terms of changes? I, I want to see a little bit more, maybe from Tywell Pigram. I want to see maybe a little bit more creativity on offense. But other than that, what do you want to see? I think this is a game where Maryland can afford to maybe experiment a little more. That's not saying that you should take Bowling Green lightly, but you can afford to take a few more risks against Bowling Green as opposed to Texas and get away with it. Uh, I think getting some of, well, two things, I, I guess, from the offense. Um, I would say, it, and they kind of work counter to each other so i don't really know exactly how you do both of them in one game um you know to the to the to each to the fullest extent of each one um but i i think getting some of the the running backs going getting i mean you could really pick any one of them uh, johnson would be a guy people would look for uh, jake funk is going to continue to get his touches probably mainly from that kind of h back position um, as will Fleet Davis and Javon Leak was not on the participation sheet for the last game, so maybe he is a little nicked up. Uh, I don't know exactly McFarland. what the story is there. Say that again. We saw a little Anthony McFarland in this game. Yes, we saw a little McFarland. Um, so I think this would be probably a, a pretty good game to kind of get some of those guys in rhythm. Um, just by virtue of Bowling Green being a MAC team, um, there's they're a little bit smaller, um, so maybe there's an opportunity to kind of uh, bully your way around the the middle of the field and, and at the line of scrimmage there, kind of open some holes for some of those guys. Uh, but the other thing I'd like to see a little more of is a a vertical passing threat. There was some of that in the last game. Um, one of the throws was made by a wide receiver. Um, <laughs> he, yeah. the, the same receiver made the other one, uh, made the other catch. Uh, there weren't too many vertical passing plays, uh, at least that worked. Uh, Pigram hit Jacobs for a big play on third down. Um on the sideline, Jacobs took a big hit. That was a nice one. Um, Avery Edwards just missed the, you know, another on that diving attempt. Um, but I'd like to see a little bit more of a, you know, kind of intermediate to to deep passing attack. I think Maryland has receivers with the skills to go deep, and I think Maryland has the receivers with the the route running ability to find space, ten to. 20 yards down the field on kind of, you know, whether it's find a soft spot in a zone or, or just kind of lose your man, you know, on a, on a crisp route somewhere in the, in the middle of the field there. I think if they could do 
both or one of those two things well in this bowling game. I think it'll bode well kind of for the rest of the season. Is there anything else, Thomas, that you'd like to see more of from Maryland on Saturday? Not really. I think just just running it a little more consistently. But other than that, just they, you know, they did enough to win and they did a lot of things very well against Texas. And that's what they had to do. And the the hope is that they keep that up and improve on the other things. I think that I just want to see maybe a tiny bit more definition of what they're going to do with Tyrell Pigram. Because I think they could use him in a more creative way. And you might as well get the kinks out now before you start playing teams when you might really need him. So that might be the only thing that I could think about. But beyond that, I think it was a pretty, obviously a great performance for Maryland. Just want to say some things about what Bruce Feldman said on the TV broadcast. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but certainly many of our listeners have about the update on the investigations. They're still ongoing. What he said was there's some doubt as to who's making the decision. Damon Evans, Wallace Lowe, because their jobs are in jeopardy, obviously. And these are things I think we had heard is that some boosters are actually supporting DJ Durkin. We don't know the whole story behind the scenes. That was really the only update on the investigations we got. And Bruce Feldman's a pretty reputable reporter. So not a ton there, but it was worth mentioning that we definitely did hear that. So otherwise, we haven't heard anything otherwise. So it seems like September the 15th on a game day, which is still strange to me, that we're going to get a lot more information. And that means one more game of this sort of in the middle where Maryland doesn't really know what the future holds in terms of specific decisions on personnel in terms of jobs I guess we could say but for now and that's where we are in terms of that if everybody of course if anything breaks in that situation we will tell you do want to mention a couple of uh non-rev sports things Thomas didn't volleyball go perfect over the weekend it did it probably should have it was not the strongest competition but it seemed like Maryland played very well they did play well that's good celebrate that because I like that team Mm-hmm. Men's soccer had a couple of nice, graciously amazing soccer nil-nil draws. One was on national television. The other was at Audi Field. And, and was not on any television. And was not or on streaming any or anything. It wasn't even on streaming? No. It was on WMUC, probably. Yeah, yeah WMUC had it. Well, that counts. That counts. I mean, you couldn't see it. Uh, and then the game that I called, I hope some of you watched that, Maryland women's soccer lost to Drexel. Naturally, the one that I call, they lose. I'm on, a, what is it, a two-game losing streak now of calling Maryland-related sports things? The lacrosse national championship game two years ago and now this game? I'm sorry to Ray Leone and company. I, I apologize for being there. Are we allowed to call that a streak if one of them was two years ago? Uh, technically, it is for me. I, I right. find weird ways of, of meshing things together that shouldn't be put together, but it, it's true. So, eh, well, I, I enjoyed calling the game. I enjoyed watching it was a very good game. It was an entertaining game, but Maryland lost, and that's unfortunate. And they haven't scored goals in a couple of games. So both soccer teams need to find ways to score goals is basically the lesson from this show. Uh, is there anything else that we should mention, Thomas? We're going to forget field hockey again? Yeah, we're going to forget field hockey <laughs> Goodness, again. Matt. Goodness. I always Matt, forget field hockey. They are, Sorry about that. They are so damn good. This is team. true. They almost won a national title, and I keep forgetting that they exist. I'm they sorry. return everyone from that team and then like brought in – this absolute ringer from Germany who is a junior and is amazing. And so they've they, like, and then also some good freshmen there for real. And they were ranked number four last I checked. They beat number three. So my guess is they'll be probably third right now. Uh, they've got, they've got two more top 15 teams coming to college park this weekend. So we'll see if they can keep it up. I should make a note for myself before every podcast recording. Remember to mention field hockey. Maybe I should write it on a blackboard like Bart Simpson. Remember to mention We'll just do it off the top every time. Okay. So, so ladies (laughs) and gentlemen, we're now starting every single podcast field hockey. So remember to mention it. I'm sorry to the folks of field hockey. You're all really good. And I keep forgetting to mention you on these shows. And I try to do that. And I'm very sorry about that. But now I think that's basically about everything. Although uh, I should say, Scott Van Pelt on his show last night. Flashing up the 2-0 and with the Longhorns, that was fantastic. That was great. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that very much. I think, I think most of us had a good day on social media on Saturday. Oh, yes. That was a, that was a lot of fun. I, I, was I live for social media. You do live Turks for social wins. media. You, you provided some good content with the, uh, 
Maryland flag overlaying the Texas flag. I enjoyed that. Thank you. That was, the again, not the content you need, but the content we deserve. And we mm -hmm. absolutely deserved it after everything that went on. And I was surprised that I didn't grave dance as much as I, I was expecting to. Or, or as you mentioned, the only, Thomas, the only FBS teams that Maryland has beaten twice in the last couple of years are Texas and Rutgers. Or the only any 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 college football you teams because they don't play the same FCS teams every year. This is true. This is absolutely true. They beat, they beat Texas and Rutgers. What a great combination of two schools. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, they love seeing that one. Uh, can we mention that the rest of the Big Ten didn't have a really great weekend? I guess we could laugh at that. I was so ready for App State to go full App State again. I was I've got, so excited. I've actually got a couple I friends. On in the I've got a couple quarter. friends there, so I like sort of keep tabs on them. And I should have won that game. I am all in on App State, just always. And I, I would have been just sending out so many tweets from just other times on that. Can that we would say have been... that that was the one where the grave dancing would have been the most amazing, but it just didn't oh, absolutely. Happen. I, I mean, like one hundred percent. Well, because well, we were still that... in the we were still in the press box, about to go home when like that game went to overtime, and App State had a field goal to win from a million yards out. And no, I'm I like, well, we're decision. we're finishing off a story right now, but also if App State wins this football game, we're gonna need to stop everything and just like laugh at them. And for create 10 some minutes. great content, and I and I was yeah. so here for that. And then we went to, I mean, Michigan State the night before almost lost at home to Utah State. Michigan got bullied by Notre Dame. Hey, can't really say too much about the, uh, the top of the Big Ten East. Not supremely impressive. And by the way, in case anyone's mentioning, I am not using that as an indication that Maryland's going to beat any of them later in the year. But I'm just saying it was enjoyable to watch it. as I will say that Ohio State and, uh, and that one quarterback looked fine. Yeah, they, they did, but they also gave up 31 points to Oregon State. So, I mean, the game was pretty much over when it started, but they still gave up 31 points to Oregon State. Just saying. I don't have a comeback for that. I can, only, I can only say what's presented in front of me, and it says that Oregon State scored 31. They did give up 77, but they scored 31. Let's see how Ohio State deals with the juggernaut that is Rutgers. My favorite was Rutgers apparently getting a – Giving a first down to Texas State, I believe, on yes. a fourth and 24 on a punt with a roughing the long snapper penalty. Yes, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. So in case you were wondering, is Rutgers football back, folks? Yes, it is. It's absolutely oh, absolutely. Okay. I, I, I know there are people in my family who do not like it when I make fun of Rutgers, but I don't care. I have to. Anyway, that seems like a perfect note to end on. Very enjoyable weekend for Maryland football. Hopefully there are many more of these weekends to come. Thank you very much for listening to this show. See you next week. And of course, go Terps.